while the children are going, will you please find your Bible and turn with me this morning to the book of Romans chapter 13. I want to make you aware that these have once again been restocked. We sold out of them last week. We're going to just do our best to kind of keep restocking this. Um, this little um, scripture journal that has Romans in it. And so whether you have one of these in your hands right now or whether you have a regular Bible or whether you're using a little electronic device, please have them open to Romans chapter 13. Would you follow along as I read just the first seven verses this morning of this chapter? This is God's Word. Let's listen. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God... And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you once again for speaking so directly, not beating around the bush. It's very straightforward what we read here, but Father, it raises questions in our minds and it presents interesting challenges as your people try to live this out here in the States and in China, and in all sorts of situations around the world. And so, God, we need your help. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we've got to remember what we saw last week in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, after having laid out the amazing truth of the gospel, this gospel of a righteousness made available to us from God through Christ, this glorious gospel. Having laid this out with great care, with great thoroughness, in chapters 1 through 11, Paul says, chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore. 
based on everything that I've said, I'm appealing to you now, brothers and sisters in Christ, to present your bodies, your lives, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's the umbrella over what Paul is saying in the rest of chapter 12 about how we should live together in humility and in love that we saw last week and the umbrella over what he says here in verse or chapter 13 as well as it will be over what he says in chapters 14 and chapter 15. I mean, you may know this, but there were no chapter and verse divisions when this letter was originally written and received and read by the church there in Rome. The end of what we have as chapter 12 just flowed uninterrupted into the beginning of what we have as chapter 13. So you see the implications of that, right? This too, here in chapter 13, is in response to God's great mercy to us. This, too, is living in and living out the gospel. If you've been laid hold of by God's mercy, if you have responded in faith to God's free gift of grace, if your life has been gospelized, this, the call of Romans chapter 13, is part of living out that gospel. I mean, isn't it strange that this area that we contend to want to kind of put in its own little separate category, this independent topic on its own, you know, the Christian and government, it actually comes under this great therefore of chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, based on all I've said, Paul says, now let every person be subject to the governing authorities. I mean, we might find ourselves asking, what does this have to do with all that? And yet Paul says it, I appeal to you by the mercy of God. On the basis of your experience of God's mercy in your life, let every one of you be subject to the governing authorities. See, the truth is, as Christians, as Christians, as Christ followers, we've got to figure out how our absolute commitment to the reign, the sovereign government of Christ, translates into how we live in this world and under this world's government. Christians then needed to figure that out. I mean, how how are we to think about Caesar and his laws? Does the fact that we belong to Christ and his kingdom mean that I don't have to obey human kings, especially blatantly sinful human kings and governments like this crazy Roman emperor Nero and his out-of-control government. It's the same question for Christians now, although circumstances vary, sometimes dramatically, from place to place. So let's look at this together this morning. It's actually, it's always timely to talk about this topic, but maybe a bit more so as we head into yet another election year. But election year or not, this is an everyday reality for us. 
I mean, as believers, we live under national and state and local governing authorities, and the fact that we are Christ followers, the fact that we are unashamedly Jesus people, the fact that we've been profoundly changed by the gospel, that we've received God's righteousness through Christ, we're no longer living in alienation from God, there is no longer any condemnation on us, we're no longer enslaved to sin, we're no longer in fear of any judgment from God, therefore, we're ready to present our lives as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, and we're ready to discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect, and we will seek to be subject to the governing authorities because we're Christ followers. I've already alluded to this this morning. The content here at the beginning of Romans chapter 13 is fairly straightforward. There's not a lot of nuanced theology here. In fact, it is decidedly non-nuanced. I can't think of anything in my Bible that is more straightforward than if you owe taxes, pay taxes. Period. But friends, even if this is pretty straightforward, the implications here are enormous. I mean, this covers everything from war to making sure your child's seat is correctly buckled in the back seat of your car or wherever it's supposed to be. It's been a few years for us. <laughs> so let's look at it. Three simple points this morning each one of them culminating in what I trust is a clear and helpful and sound biblical principle. Here's the three points we're going to cover. Number one, the place of government, human government. Number two, the role of human government. And number three, the Christian, the Christian response to government. So first, the place of government, and it's super clear. Two words. It's under God under God. I mean, Paul begins with this very clear command that applies to every person, let every person be subject to governing authorities, and he follows that statement immediately with this reason, and the reason is that the governing authorities' authority is given by God. He says it three times. Look again at verse 1. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Now, we're going to get to the question that is in everybody's mind right now in just a moment. But let's be clear. No human authority exists apart from God's supervision. All human authority is derived authority. All human authority is derived from God's authority. It's under God's authority. Jesus said even to Pilate, the Roman governor who was about to crucify him, or at least give permission for him to be crucified, Jesus, do you remember this scene, John chapter 19? Jesus is there in Pilate's hall, and Pilate, Pilate keeps asking him questions, and Jesus doesn't answer and uh, Pilate finally in, in exasperation says, don't, don't you know I have the authority to release you or to turn you over to be crucified? And Jesus very calmly looks at him and says, uh, 
you don't have any authority at all except what's been given to you from above you are under God's authority yes Pilate misused his authority but the authority that he used to do that had been delegated to him by God so let's break this down a little bit two things that I think will be helpful for us in connection with point one. First, God has instituted the existence of human government he is the source of all human authority and he designed this particular idea of human government it is God's wonderful good provision for our good thank you God for the idea of governing authority God desires for the good of people, for the, for the world to be governed under the rule of just and appropriate law. So God allows and directs men to make laws and to establish governing bodies. This task has nothing to do with salvation. It is not dependent on faith. It is a work aimed at the temporal preservation of the world, not at the eternal salvation of people. But now, let's ask that question that's in our minds. Has God appointed particular governments? What about Adolf Hitler? Let's just go to the extreme, right? Was his governing appointed by God? or Joseph Stalin, or Idi Amin, or Pol Pot, or Saddam Hussein? Or what about for these people, these emperors, Caligula, or Nero, or the brutality that was coming right over the horizon from this time when this letter was being read by the emperor Domitian? You know, some people have found it so incredible that Paul would call for this obedience to government in a day that was so marked by flagrant injustice and arrogance under Nero that they wonder if Paul actually wrote these words. They wonder if maybe this paragraph somehow got stuck into this letter somehow along the way by someone else who was trying to attach some agenda to Christianity. But Paul did write this. And he's saying that these governing authorities, even the Hitlers and the Neros, have their commission from God. Now, he is very aware that not every government carries out God's will. They can betray their commission. And on a political level, they can do exactly the opposite of what God calls them to do. And on a personal level, they can be marked by not just poor character, but sometimes by abysmal character. But Paul is clear, their commission, their authority is from God. In fact, let me just take this a little step further. I mean, it is clear from Scripture, start to finish, that God maintains his sovereign oversight over all particular governments and governing officials. I mean, just think of this. Jeroboam was one of the most wicked kings in Israel, but the book of 1 Kings describes his coming into kingship as, I quote, brought about by the Lord. The Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar 
just utterly destroyed Jerusalem, he is described by God as my servant. I've already mentioned Pilate and Jesus' words to him, your authority is given to you from above. So while we recognize not everyone carries out their commission faithfully and some blatantly unfaithfully, still it is God who grants authority and it is God who sets up kings and removes kings. That's Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. He is sovereign over everything. It is God's design and God's will to govern the world of mankind through human civil authorities. Let's get this clear. Man did not create government. God did. Governing authorities have their commission from God. They are under God, which leads to the second thing I want to point out under the first point. Human governments are not just instituted by God. They are responsible to God. Government is responsible to do what God instituted it to do, and God will hold them accountable. See, it's God's purpose that government is to fulfill. Did you notice this idea in verse 4? For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God. So what if they're not serving God's purpose? I mean, we know this both historically and biblically, that human governments don't always do what God ordained them to do. So this kind of helps us, doesn't it? Helps us to, to draw a line. Let me say it this way this morning. We are to obey government unless obeying government means disobeying God. So if the state commands us to do something that God forbids, we disobey the state. If the state forbids something that God commands, then we disobey the state. When Pharaoh, back in Exodus chapter 1, told those Hebrew midwives to kill the baby boys who were born to Jewish mothers, they disobeyed Pharaoh because God had already said, Thou shalt not kill. When Daniel's friends were ordered to bow down to that graven image and worship that, they disobeyed the king because God had already said, Thou shalt not bow down to any graven image. When King Darius made a decree that Nobody could pray to anyone, God or man, other than himself. Daniel refused to obey the king, and he kept praying to God. You know, we have this wonderfully clear statement in the book of Acts. Uh, when the apostles were told at one point, you must stop teaching about this Jesus. No more of that. Stop. Um, they, kept, they kept doing it. And they were called before the council, and Peter, I mean, bless his heart, he just stood up and said, um, we're going to obey God, not you guys. We must obey God rather than men. 
But please, I want you to know something. In every one of those instances that I just recounted, in every one of those instances, the essence of the disobedience is not about defiance of government. It's about honoring God. So we are to be subject to governing authorities up to the point where it means disobeying God. So, let's test it. What if a government prohibits you as Christians from gathering together as believers, which God has clearly instructed us to do. Do not neglect the gathering of yourselves together. I've read recently a letter, as I know have some of you, written by a Chinese pastor. Listen to how this begins. On the basis of the teachings of the Bible and the mission of the gospel, I respect the authorities God has established in China. For God deposes kings and raises up kings. This is why I submit to the historical and institutional arrangements of God in China. As a pastor of a Christian church, I have my own understanding and views based on the Bible about what righteous order and good government is. At the same time, I am filled with anger and disgust at the persecution of the church by this communist regime, at the wickedness of their depriving people of the freedoms of religion and of conscience. But changing social and political institutions is not the mission I've been called to, and it is not the goal for which God has given his people the gospel. And he proceeds to write this absolutely brilliant manifesto to his government and to other Christian believers under the title Declaration of Faithful Disobedience. Listen, if your government does that, that's what you do. But can I say to you this morning, if your government allows you to gather every Sunday morning and in fact protects your right to gather every Sunday morning, you thank God that they are acting in a way so as to serve his purposes. Listen, by being subject to governing authorities, we honor God. And we as recipients of God's mercy and now being subject because of God's work in our lives, we put the gospel on display. This is what Christians are like. So here's the principle, the principle for point number one. Our obedience to government authorities demonstrates our greater commitment to and trust in God's authority. Our obedience to government authorities demonstrates our greater commitment to and our trust in God's authority. Okay, that's point one. It's the main point, I think, of Romans 13. The place of government under God. Second, the role of government. We can see this fairly quickly. Look at verses 3 and 4. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. What is the role of human government? To promote what is morally good and to inhibit what is morally bad. That's the role of human government, to promote what is morally good and to inhibit what is morally bad. You know, it's very interesting to me that the state 
is specifically charged to do what the individual Christian has been forbidden to do. Do you remember back in chapter 12, verse 19? Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And then you read chapter 13, verse 4. For he is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. The role of government is to promote, protect, preserve, encourage what is morally good, and to inhibit, restrict, punish, avenge what is morally bad. That's what God designed government to do. Now, does every government do that perfectly? No. Does any government do that perfectly? No. So what do we do? Well, we read Romans chapter 13, verse 4, and we recognize government is a good thing, and we work and pray to support just government. And at times, we expend a little greater effort to influence government when it is not promoting what is good and inhibiting what is evil. But all the time, we acknowledge and thank God for human government because the absence of it would unleash every imaginable moral evil into society. So what's the principle here with point number two? Government is to carry out God's purpose of promoting moral good and inhibiting moral evil. And that leads us right to our third point. We've seen the place of government. It's under God. We've seen the role of government to serve God's moral will. Now third, the Christian response to government. The Christian response. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters. So what is the Christian response? What is the gospelized response to human government? Paul comes right out and says it in verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. He repeats it in verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection. Why is that the right response well, Paul says on one level, it's the right response to simply avoid God's judgment. Verse 5, therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, remember back up in verse 2, therefore whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Rulers are not a terror to good, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. So one of the reasons why this is the right response is to, in fact, avoid God's judgment on wrongdoing. But there's an even greater reason. Did you notice this in verse 5? Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. In other words, you obey human government because you want to honor God. You want to do what is right. It's a way of loving God and honoring God with your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And so we respond, Christians, by obeying, by being subject, 
But please notice this. Paul adds at the end of this passage some very pointed specificity, particularly regarding not just our subjection, but our support of government. Verse 7, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So let's click through this. Taxes are taxes. Income tax, sales tax, property tax. We don't like it, but maybe we should change our minds and say when we pay taxes... God, what a privilege to support your servants and to receive from them these services. Thank you for our government. Revenue. Revenue is like tolls. So pay your tolls. Highway tolls to whom highway tolls are due. And thank God for the incredible highway system we have in this nation. Building permit fees to whom permit fees are due. Fishing license and hunting license fees to whom those are due. You know, when I, when I was teaching at Trinity I had, and, and living up here, I had that long commute that involved daily payment of tolls. And when I got down to Half Day Road, I think they've changed it now, but there used to be one of those cash-only things. And, you know, they had the little bucket. There was nobody there. They just had the bucket you had to throw your coins in and... And I I encountered that twice every day, and sometimes I wasn't always thinking far enough ahead to be ready with the exact change. And so once in a while, I would go through that, that little booth there without paying and vowing, I'll pay, I'll, I'll get it the next time I'm around, but I would get lazy and I'd lose track. And God lovingly bothered my conscience And one day, I took a jar of quarters that was sitting on my dresser, and I dumped the whole thing into that little bucket, just to be sure. (laughs) I just was curious as could be what the little guy who uh, looks at the camera was thinking, you know. And when I dumped that jar of quarters in there, I thanked God for the roads that I get to drive on and make my commute so easy. So taxes to who taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect. Respect is respect for their time and their work and their commitment. I work really hard. I'm pretty sure that President Trump puts in a lot more hours than I do. I'm pretty sure President Obama did the same. Honor to whom honor is due. And one way of doing that is saying thank you, which should be a regular impulse in our hearts. But friends, I want to seize the opportunity this morning and give us a chance to honor and say thank you. We have a good number of governing authorities in our church family. It blows my mind. Now, I recognize not not all of these people will be in this service. We had a wonderful opportunity in the first service to do this as well. But if you are here, would you please stand if I call your name? And by the way, I feel totally fine doing this because these people are all in public service and they're used to standing up in public meetings. So, 
Charles Smith retired Kenosha County Sheriff's Department 42 and a half years. Chief Deputy Sheriff, Department Administrator. Vince Lucci retired as a detective with the Kenosha Sheriff's Department. Tom Riley, 27 years with the Kenosha Sheriff's Department. Jason Rossell, Circuit Court Judge, Kenosha County and Chief Judge of the 2nd Judicial Administrative District. Kirk Henderson, Zion Chief of Police. Bill Beth, Captain of the Detentions Division, Kenosha County Sheriff's Department. Please stand, just stay standing, guys. Dan Cooper, Administrative Sergeant. Austin Hancock, Kenosha Police Office with the Gang Unit. Jeff LeBond, Director of the Department of Community Development and Inspections, City of Kenosha. Andrew Burgoyne, Assistant District Attorney, Kenosha County. Jared Henderson, Kenosha Police Officer. Buddy Hargett, Trustee, Village of Winthrop Harbor. Josh Bournes, Federal Air Marshal. Please stand. I know there's others that we have not mentioned. Just, I'm, 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 I was going to say I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Thanks for standing. <laughs> we want to honor you. Um, I know there's people that we, we did our best this past week to think of everyone. If there's anyone who's in law enforcement, and by the way, moms, I'm not thinking about you right now. Um, anyone in law enforcement, any, any government official, elected, appointed official, please stand up. Okay, the rest of us, would you please look around? Um, here's what we want you to know. We see you. We see you. And we recognize you as God's servants for good. And we want to be subject to you in your various areas of jurisdiction. And we thank God for you and for what you do. Would you please communicate your appreciation? What's the principle for the rest of us? Here it is. Christian, you are honoring God and you are putting the gospel on display when you respond in specific obedience and gratitude to God's servants who are in positions of governing authority. So let us, as those who are being transformed by Jesus, be joyfully subject to what God has ordained. To his glory. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you.